Welcome to Something Rhymes With Purple, live from London's Cadogan Hall. Well, thank you so much for joining us. This episode goes out for the first time on Tuesday the 29th of March. That's three days before the famous April Fool's Day, Giles. So we thought we'd spend this episode exploring the colourful language of fools and jokers and hoaxers. Well, that's what we're going to do. Yeah. Until the chair that Susie is sitting in explodes. <laughs> Which is a little joke that I've set up. <laughs> Uh, or not, as the case may be. How are you with April Fool's Day? Because obviously it is a, it's a day for pranksters. Uh, have you always been one of those, or do you just ignore it? I love April Fool's Day. I love the idea. I mean, there is a famous Chinese saying, there's no pleasure so great as seeing a good friend fall off the roof. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say harmless pranks, but clearly... That does not fall into that category. So I, I like a practical joke, and we'll be sharing some with you as we talk on. I mean, are you going to be able to begin by telling me the origin? Why is it called April? Yeah. Fool? And where does the word fool come from, for a start? OK, well, fool simply goes back to the Latin follis, F-O-L-L-I-S, um, which actually meant a windbag. So somebody who... <laughs> um, somebody who loved to bloviate, you know, just... Blo <laughs> I'm, so sorry. I'm taking pills for it now. <laughs> yes, a blower of hot air. A bloviator. A bloviator. Um, so, yes, that's the idea. So it was a fool who, who just basically spoke rubbish. I'm not looking at you for that. So that's where fool comes from. As for April Fool's Day, we're not quite sure. We know in ancient Roman times there was a festival called the Hilaria, and Hilaris then already meant something that induced laughter. And on such days, nobody was allowed to be glum. I mean, I'm not sure how they policed this, but um, everybody had to be smiley, cheerful, not say a bad word about anybody else. I mean, that's quite, that would be quite a positive day on social media if we said that. Probably that's a lovely one. idea. It is, isn't it? And I think it would work in the country. I've found that if you go around in London smiling at people, you get arrested. <laughs> yeah. People find it a bit disconcerting. But well, that so is probably just true. Hillary, as in the yes. name Hillary. Yes. As in hilarious, this is all one root. Yes. Remind me of what that root is again, say it again. It's the Latin hilaris, um, essentially, which was simply joy or mirth or laughter. So on, on the, this Hilaria festival, uh, which I think were offered up to the gods of fertility, for example, because this is springtime, they would have masquerades, they would have, you know, all sorts of games. That maybe that from those days in March, April the 1st, took over that role of, of some, you know, somewhere where we play jests and jokes, etc. As I recall, the rules of April Fool mm. are that you set up the prank and then when the prank has been performed, you say April Fool to the victim and you can only do it up until 12 noon yeah. on April Fool's Day. And after that, you become the fool, right? I think so. The yeah. roles are reversed. My father was a really, he loved an April Fool. Uh, some of them, I ran around, so some of them weren't really, he did them all year round. He used to have a glass called the dribble glass. It was a wine glass that matched all the other wine glasses that had little cuts in it. It was crystal. And when my sister's boyfriends came round, <laughs> he would test them uh, by giving them this dribble glass and pouring in the wine. And then the oh, poor no. fellow would drink it. Yes, and dribble <laughs> down the front. <laughs> and my father would just laugh at them. <laughs> None of my sisters, of course, got married. Um, <laughs> That's not true. They were all very happy uh, 
with their eventual partners. They all passed the test. But his, his father yeah. had a, um, a little device like a pad and a tube, and the pad would blow up. And he would put this pad under a plate at the dinner table, under the tablecloth. And so when someone came to dinner, he could rock their plate by pressing a bulb at one end, and it would make the plate go up. And so people were having soup, the soup would spill. <laughs> Yes. Well, this is beginning to form a picture here. I think. <laughs> it really so, came from. Okay. So, okay. That's, so, that's my family. Let me just say that before we had April Fools in Scotland, they had Hunty Gauk Day, and um, and a gauk in uh, Scots is a cuckoo or a foolish person. So there was a, a game called Hunt the Gauk. Okay, and it was a traditional prank. So somebody, the victim, is asked to deliver a letter. And unbeknownst to them, the letter, which when they deliver it, this is what the recipient reads, Dinny laugh, Dinny smile, hunt the gauk another mile. Um, and the victim does not know this. So the victim is then instructed to go to another person with the same letter. And so it goes on and on. It sounds very complicated, but apparently it was fun. <laughs> so that's Hunty Gauk Day. And in France, do you know what it's called in France, April Fool's Day? I do know, okay. because I spent a lot of time and I, I went to the Lycée Francais de Londres, not far from here, in South Kent, um, where, incidentally, I met General de Gaulle, um, <laughs> who was the... Oh, not surprise me. ...president of France at the time, and uh, I don't think he knew he was meeting me, but I was there, lined up. <laughs> and he arrived, he had an enormous bidon. Um, a bidon? A bidon, a bidet? Uh, means a stomach, and, oh. a, and a huge nose. And interestingly enough, I remember him being in uniform, but it, I've seen the photographs of the day, and he wasn't in uniform, and he came to the school, and where we would call April Fool's Day, Poisson d'Avril. Yeah. Why is it called April Fish? What is the origin of that? I'm not sure we entirely know. I just know that there are quite a few pranks on Poisson d'Avril where uh, a sort of fish is tied to someone's back, unbeknownst to them. And then if the newspapers run these ridiculous stories, as our press often does, on April Fool's Day, there's usually some kind of fish clue in there to let you know that it's all made up. Why a fish? I don't know. I should know, but I don't. And I'm not sure anyone does. So I like the idea of, of the jester as a character too. I mean, Shakespeare's plays are, are full of jesters. Yeah. Lumbered now with jokes that after 400 years are not as funny as we hoped they were originally. But characters like Festy, Touchstone, you know, and in that costume, the traditional jester's costume. Uh, yeah. Where does the word jest come from and jester? Jester, actually, jest is quite interesting because it was it, originally a jest was something really notable. So it was a kind of exploit. It wasn't a joke at all. Um, so it goes back to the Latin jester, meaning actions, which gave us gesture, of course, U-R-E. And um, originally it was like a narrative of someone's great deeds, but because it was often quite boastful. Um, you know, quite a lot of name-dropping in there, Giles. Um, it came to mean some kind of idle story that someone trotted out all the time, and from there it came to mean a joke, but usually at someone else's expense. That's where that comes from. Uh, so, so that's... But, um, a hoax is quite nice. Which I'll yes. tell you the origin of hoax, because it's mixed up with hanky-panky, oh. believe it or not. Uh, so hanky-panky for us means something very specific, doesn't it, really? It's a bit like rumpy-pumpy or, you know, that kind of thing. Don't you think? Totally. I know, I know exactly what hanky-panky means, as do quite a few of the people here, from what we know. Hanky-panky, what's the origin of hanky-panky? It's kind of sexual indiscretions, really, isn't it? But, um, but why is it called hanky-panky? Well, we think it's probably an alteration of hocus-pocus. 
uh, believe it or not. So Hocus Pocus, obviously said by conjurers as they do their tricks, like abracadabra, etc. Um, but that, in turn, is probably based on a pseudo-Latin phrase, which is Hax Pax Deus Adimax. Say it again. Hax Pax Deus Adimax. And that was used as a kind of pretend, as I say, pseudo-magic um, formula, if you like. And it was that that probably gave us Hocus Pocus, Hanky Panky and Hoax. Very good. Why did hanky-panky come to mean a bit of hanky-panky? It was probably... I mean, given I, hocus-pocus clearly is a bit of nonsense yeah. or a bit of magic. Well, it was trickery and then dishonest behaviour, I guess, was the idea, and then sexual indiscretions. I bet it was something like all those euphemisms in um, Private Eye. Wasn't it sort of having Ugandan relations or something? Do you remember no, that? I do remember. Yes. I don't remember having Ugandan relations, but I do remember the phrase. Yes as a euphemism. But I think hanky-panky goes back before then, doesn't it? Hanky-panky itself is the 1830s, so not that far back. Ah, 1830s, okay. Yeah. So a hoax is from hocus-pocus. That's what we think. Very good. Hocus so if you're a hoaxer, a prankster, yeah. what's a prankster? Prankster, we don't know where prank comes from, but originally it meant a wicked deed, so it was much, much stronger than it is now. Ah, so a prank was something really serious. Yes. It's, it's undergone what linguists very romantically call semantic bleaching. <laughs> um, in other words, it's become a bit diluted over time, but it was really quite strong. How come you can get to the root of some words but not others? Um, because we're detectives and we don't always find the right clues and they get lost in time. And actually, you'd think that the older a word is, the more difficult it becomes, but actually... I find the older a word is, the easier it is because the printed records are fewer and you kind of have a narrower base with which to work. Whereas if you're looking for a modern slang term and you're looking for the etymology of it, where do you start? Because it could have been on a tweet, it could have been, it could have, it could have literally come from anywhere because a word these days can be across the world in, what, two seconds. Um, so it's really hard to get to the bottom, particularly of slang, because that's the fastest moving language in the world, and it's very slippery when it comes to its etymology. But prank, it yeah. sounds so, such a solid word. Yeah. Uh, what is the oldest prank that we, I mean, how, how many hundreds of years have there been pranks going? Prank, so 1529 is the first record we have, a malicious trick, a wicked deed, a deceptional scheme intended to harm, and then by not long after, actually, late 16th century, a magical trick or feat. 1576, a practical joke, a lark. And by 1692, it was an erratic or seemingly capricious action of an inanimate object. Oh, you know when... It reminds me of something. You know when you are buttering a piece of toast and it falls on the floor and the butter is always the bit on the floor, you know, it's always butter side down. Or when a table bumps into you, for example, if you're walking around, you know, that sort of... The revenge of inanimate objects is called resistentialism. Resistentialism. Yeah. So if you're really, really angry, and I tweeted yesterday about, we mentioned this in our episode on swearing, but lalochesia, which is the release of stress and frustration and pain and anxiety through swearing, that for me is completely linked with resistentialism because when something does bump into you like that, <laughs> um, you might have a bit of lalochesia going on. If we were time travellers and could go back 500 years mm. to 1600... Do you think we would understand the English being spoken by people in London? Uh, that's a really good point, yes. But at that 
stage and a little bit later on as well, you had lots of pronunciation shifts where sound and spelling completely divorced. So, oh, explain. Give us an example. Okay. So, uh, for example, during the Renaissance, you would find the letter B creeping into words like debt or doubt, or the letter P coming into receipt, or the L into salmon. So, silent letters suddenly appeared, and this is because Renaissance scribes wanted to show off their Latin, essentially, and they wanted to restore what they felt was the classicism, the classical beauty to English. Oh, so receipt would have been written R-E-C-E-T, as it were. Something like that. Like so doubt was D-O-U-T. They put a P in to make it to show that they knew where it came from. Receptor, and doubt comes from dubitum, which is why we have indubitably. So they took the old English doubt, D-O-W-T, and D-O-U-T, and thought, well, we're just going to put a B in there, but we won't pronounce it. So that's what we did, and we did that with um, salmon, and we did that with plumber, which didn't have a B until they came along and said, oh, but the Latin for a lead pipe is plumbum, so we're going to put that in there as well, um, because the Romans were dealing in lead pipes for, you know, for sanitation, etc. So um, they sometimes got it wrong, so they put an S in island, thinking it came from the Latin insula, when in fact it didn't. It was from the Vikings, Eagland. So really we should be talking about Britain being a lovely Eagland, not an island. But we must reform the language. We must... No, today is the day we launch the campaign. That S has been there under false circumstances in Ireland. I know, but this is what makes English so beautiful. You know, I always tell you about that H in ghost, which is a complete hiccup. And I always the tell H, the story... Remind me about the H in sorry ghost. Sorry if you've heard this from me so many times. It's one of my favourites. So the H in ghost goes back to a Flemish typesetter who was employed by William Caxton, who, of course, brought the printing press to um, England and did so much to standardise English spelling, which was so chaotic before then that Shakespeare spelled his own name differently twice on the same document, which was his will. So that's how chaotic it was. And Caxton came along, he'd learned his trade in uh, Flanders, couldn't find enough types such as over here, so he brought over some of his colleagues who spoke Flemish, and they saw G-O-S-T on one, in one book, and they thought, that looks all wrong, because their native Flemish at the time was Geest, G-H-E-E-S-T. And so they lobbed an H into our ghost, thought that looks better. And this would just be one person, one single typesetter. And then not only that, but it had a ricochet effect, so ghastly, which didn't have an H, got one, and a ghast as well. All from one person. That's why I love all this. It's amazing, isn't it? You mentioned Shakespeare there. I find, and I know Shakespeare reasonably well. I love Shakespeare. I... <laughs> you met him, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In my dreams, certainly. But I wonder if I did meet him, whether I'd be able to understand a word he said. When I go to the plays, even now, it takes me the first 20 minutes yeah. of being in the theatre, listening to get my ear attuned yeah. to it. Well, that's what it is. It's immersion. You'd be OK. Same with Chaucer, actually. Ah. Yeah. So, immersed in it at the time. Yeah. You think I'd even understand... I mean, at school, I had a wonderful teacher called Mr Gardner who read to us from Chaucer. And Chaucer was really difficult on the page. But when he read it, it was so amusing, it was so alive, it, and we understood from the way he was reading it what it was about. So that's what you're saying to me. That, yeah. that, as it were, the telling of the story. Yeah. It is all about immersion and, as you say, getting your ear for it. OK, yep. let's go back to... So yep. you've given us several words. You've given us hoaxer yep. and prankster. If, by any chance, you do know what prankster is, and lexicographers for hundreds of years haven't found the origin, <laughs> if, if you are tuning in and you think you do know, please get in touch with us. It's purple at somethingelse.com. The Fool. Tell us a bit about The Fool as a character. Well, The Fool as a character, I mean... 
yes, you've got, you've got so much history there. You've got the fool in Shakespeare, who was always the soothsayer, really, if you think about King Lear, he was the only one who dared to tell the truth. But there have been so many, I mean, it's so interesting. I always say that the dictionary does insults really, really well and compliments really badly, because, of course, that's reflecting us, sadly, that we're not very good at compliments, but we're really good at insulting other people. Um, and there is so, if you look at um, one of the things the OED has, is a historical thesaurus. So if I look up fool in the OED, I just click on thesaurus and I will literally get a timeline, a chronology of synonyms for a fool from, from the word go. And uh, so I picked some out for you, okay? Good. Uh, this is one of my favourite because it may or may not describe some people heading up the country. Um, <laughs> I have to be careful because Giles was a Tory MP. No longer, but you were one. I was. Politically, uh, we're quite different. I was, I was a, a member of parliament until the people spoke. <laughs> <laughs> um, the bastards. <laughs> um, so this is one that I just think, I mean, it can actually sum up anybody you would choose to. <laughs> I'm just treading very carefully here. Okay, I'm just going to go for it. Eunassinus. Unasinus is a riff on unanimous, and unanimous means united in stupidity. Oh, and is that an invented? Useful. Well, obviously, all words in a sense. Invented, but quite a long time ago. So yeah, about two centuries ago. So as I U say, it was unanimous. U-N-A-S-I-N-O-U-S. Yeah. And it's deliberately formed. One ass. Oh, I see. Unasinus. Yeah. So yeah. united in stupidity. Yes. Yeah, so unanimous means one mind, one spirit, and unanimous means one ass. Yeah. Yeah. Not one ass, one ass. Well, actually, what I've found, when, both when I was an MP and subsequently, is if you ever ask people about their own individual member of parliament, they say, oh, well, he or she, oh, it's not too bad, I met them, they're okay. It's only people when they're talking in the generality of That's politicians. That's so true. That's that they, very true. They hurl abuse casually It's the collective, collective nouns, isn't it? I, yeah. the, my experience was actually people in all, all parties um, yeah. Actually, that are good people. And I, I was true. particularly touched when I stood for the first time that the monster raving loony party withdrew their candidate and said, if you wanted to vote for them, vote for Charles. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> nice, which may explain the, the, the small majority that I had. So, Unasinus. Unasinus, yes. And you're, you're absolutely right. But then the dictionary also has so many political epithets for. Well, epithets for individual politicians too. So, um, yeah, it's, it's strange, isn't it? We've obviously always slightly mistrusted those in charge. Anyway, um, a saddle goose is another Saddle word. goose, I like that one. Yeah, saddle goose. That's from the 14th century. And it's just listed in the thesaurus for four. But I can only imagine it's because if you ever tried to saddle a goose. And if you have, you're a fool. Oh, I see. Trying yeah. to put a saddle on a goose and ride around on a goose. Yes. That's funny. The saddle, you saddle, saddle goose. saddle goose. And then there's little, and I don't know how to pronounce this, little, it's either Whitem, but it's not spelled with a Y, or Witham. So it's W-I-T-H-A-M, might be Witham actually. But in the 1500s, a little Witham was, was a synonym for a fool because apparently it was a village where the inhabitants were well known for their stupidity. <laughs> um, what, would our, what would our modern equivalent be, do you reckon? Normal for Norfolk. Oh. No, but I mean, people do say that sort of thing, don't they? They do, yeah. I mean, exactly. Very cruel. It is. It's cruel, it's hostile. It's like you talking about politicians. It's a kind of stupid generalisation. <laughs> I do apologise, but, but sometimes, no. sometimes it's... But so little, little Witham is a real place. Yes, it was a real... Oh, there probably is a still... Shall I look it up? It says Essex, but there's no little Witham that I can find now, so maybe it was... I don't know. Okay. 
So a little then, Whittam is a fool. Give me some more. Uh, a little Whittam was a fool, and then you've also got... Poltroon. Oh, poltroon. Yes, now that's interesting, actually, because you know the word poltergeist? Well, yeah. obviously you know the word. So to polter, or polten in German, is to go around making a very, very big noise. So I think there will be, if you look far back enough, a poltroon will be linked to that idea of sort of crashing around and being sort of quite slapstick heavy. So this is interesting. So I'm looking up in the OED about the poltroon. So it may, there's lots of different theories. And another one is it goes back to um, the French, a poltron, meaning a coward, because popular belief or popular etymology had it, that it goes back to a Latin phrase meaning maimed in the thumb, which people would do to themselves in order to shirk military service. Isn't that weird? Ooh. So if you were foolish enough to do that, I suppose. But anyway, that, that is probably a folk etymology. And then another one is it goes back to the idea of being a young chicken. But there's that sense of cowardice behind. But this is intriguing. This often occurs, what you call a false etymology, a kind of false history yeah. that's come along, but people think that must be the origin. Yeah. So nobody quite knows with poltroon, but it could no. possibly be to do with a chicken? Possibly to do with a chicken, possibly to do with a truncated thumb, and possibly a link to the, the poltern, the, the, you know... As in the poltergeist. Poltergeist, but yeah. None of which do we firmly know. No. Oh, no, and that is the case with so many words, actually, where there are lots of competing theories and we're still weighing up the evidence, you know. It's fascinating. It's a great gig. Give me some more. Um, well, you've got the, the dizzard from the 1600s. Who? The dizzard. The dizzard? Yes. That's simply somebody who's a bit dizzy and giddy. Giddy? Do you remember Giddy? I think I remember telling you where Giddy comes from. Well, this, the challenge is remembering these things. Where does Giddy come from? No, but it is. No, and that's why I often say to Susie, please repeat the word. And I try to use the words in conversation later in the day and actually write them down because otherwise, yeah. um, they just in one ear out the other. So Giddy. Giddy was someone who was thought to be possessed by a god. So they were kind of goddy, if you like. So they were thought to be so fanatical that they were possessed by some demon. And does giddy relate to dizzy as well? Um, no, so dizzy, I think, was again born for its sound, and you'll find similar ones, or what we call cognates, in lots and lots of different languages. The diz and the dits and the, you know, the idea of the kind of... If you imagine a cartoon character, you would just get those little kind of curly lines coming out of your head. What about... And there's the plonker. Plonker? Yes. I love, she points directly at me and says, there's the, <laughs> there's the plonker. Uh, yeah, what is the origin of plonker? Uh, so, nothing to do with plonk, as in cheap wine. That's, that's a, basically a bastardisation of van blanc. Van blanc, plonk. Uh, so it was cheap, cheap white wine. Uh, plonker was a penis. So we have a great tradition of comparing, particularly when it comes to uh, men being slightly s foolish or um, annoying or contemptible, indeed. Uh, oh, as in what a dick. What a dick, what a plonker. What a plonker, I'm getting it. Yeah, yeah. Oh. So that's... that's the what about plonker. nincompoop? Because my wife often says to me, what a nincompoop. Yeah, um, again, jury's out, we're not completely sure. You, you always think it's from non compus mentis, don't you? Yeah, no proof for that at all, that it would totally make sense. But we think it's some kind of riff on poop, meaning sort of something worthless. It's got a very pleasing sound, Nink and Poop, but that's where we think that one comes from. And then Wally. Do you remember the story of the Wally? Wally. Well, this is one where I really hope it is true, and it does seem likely that it was at least popularised during a 1960s pop concert when uh, somebody called Wally had clearly gone missing. So over the tannoy, 
they were sort of saying, well, Wally, please report to such and such. And this went on so often that it was then picked up by um, all the people at the concert. And they, some people have it as a, as a football game, but I think it was a concert. And people were picking up and the crowd was chanting, where's Wally, where's Wally, where's Wally? So, yeah. That's extraordinary. I know, it's great, isn't it? I love it. Do you want to give us the three more that are there? Do you want to have the break first? Yeah, let's come back, actually. Okay, because I've, yeah, I've, I've got rather three. a treat for you during the break. A delicious, because oh, I think you like this. I can this. touch your garb. You touch my, but I've got a lovely coffee and walnut cake uh, with some lovely butter icing uh, for you and for your daughter who is here and yes. her friend. Yes. <laughs> April yes. Fool. I haven't got anything at all. <laughs> yeah, I agree. That was a bit cheap. That was a bit cheap. <laughs> Welcome back. We're talking about words for fools. Yeah. And your list included a word that I'd come across, but I, uh, a niddycock. Mm. What is a niddycock? Um, a niddycock is, well, we were talking about plonkers before the break. So again, you have the same anatomical reference really, but it was a riff in the 16th century on an idiot. An idiot, which I love, because it sounds really modern, but an idiot was somebody uh, simply who was idiotic with knobs on. You see, I've done it again. Um, with bells on. So an idiot was a complete and utter idiot. And niddycock was the niddy bit. And then there's sort of, you know, the penis reference again. Um, and you had a noddy pole as well, which is another part of the body. Do you remember the pole? The pole, as in poltroon? Uh, no, as in deed pole, as in pole tax. Do you remember with that? No. No. Don't so, <laughs> So the pole is uh, an old dialect word for the head. So a poll tax was like a sort of... Oh, yes, I do. Yeah, almost like a tax per head count, if you like. And a tadpole is a toad head because it looks almost as though it's just a toad and nothing else, a head of a toad and nothing else. Uh, so that's linked to... And so noddy, noddy, pole, noddy, noddy comes from nodding, yeah. simple as that. Yeah. I love noddy. Noddy was, for me, my role model, really. <laughs> Noddy and Big Ears. Noddy and Big Ears. They, they were a lovely double act, weren't they? Yeah, they really were. Um, well remember? done, Ian okay. Blyton, creating that innocent world. Oh, I love The Faraway Tree. Was that one of your favourites? Um, I loved all Ian Blyton, but like so many of my generation, she was banned from school. But I had a black market at the... You know, I said I was a librarian. I had a few under-the-table transactions of <laughs> Ian Blyton. <laughs> Just for I, a little while. I um, tell you what I'm doing at the moment, and I do recommend this because the world is very grim, and I think it's not a good thing to watch the television news late at night. I'm going to bed and I'm re-reading my childhood favourites. And I was born on the 8th of March, I recently had a birthday, and the same day as Kenneth Graham, mm -hmm. the person who wrote Wind in the Willows. Yeah. And if you want comfort reading that's beautifully written and evokes a wonderful world, the world of mole, ratty, badger, toad, Marvellous. Go back to Winter the Willows. So if you had a childhood favourite, whatever it might be, go back to it now. And if you haven't yet read The Faraway Tree, what a treat you're in for. Yeah, that's very true. So should we finish off Fools? I found a fantastic um, quote from 1668, which is, in fact, I think, the, one of the first references to nincompoop, which we discussed before the break. And it talks about the ship of fools. So it says, The ship of fools, fully fraught and richly laden with asses, jackdaws, ninny hammers, coxcombs, slender wits, shallow brains, paper skulls, simpletons, nickampoops, wiseacres, dunces, and blockheads. When's that? What's That's that great, 1668. 1668, and almost the majority of those words are still in yeah. current use. I know. 
It's fantastic. Like paper skull. Repeat the lines to us again. Okay. The ship of fools is fully fraught and richly laden with asses, fools, jackdaws, ninny hammers, coxcombs, slender wits, shallow brains, paper skulls, simpletons, nick and poops, wiseacres, dunces, and blockheads. <laughs> Here is our audience. Uh, <laughs> now I'm joking. But isn't it the ship of fools? What a wonderful concept. I know. Who wrote that? I mean, do we know where that comes from? It's just, it, it is uh, the st a story from 1668, yeah, describing the ship of fools, which was quite a popular trope. But talking about our fantastic audience, I think we need to give enough time for yeah. their questions. Good. And um, we'll start off with one question that was sent in to us, purple at something else.com, because it's kind of linked to the idea of fools. And it's from Angie McCormick. And uh, would you want to read it out? It says, hi, Susie and Giles. A friend and I recently came across the excellent German word... Backpfeifengesicht. You say the German word, do you? Backpfeifengesicht. 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 Yeah. Meaning someone who looks like they need a slap in the face. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Any idea where this great word comes from? Oh, Angie. Wonderful. Uh, yes, a backpfeifer is simply a slap, and a gesicht means a face. So, yes, that's exactly it. I have accused Jimmy Carr of having one of these. Um, <laughs> a face in dire need of a slap. Uh, a backpfeifen gesicht. It's brilliant. Um, so, thank you for that, Angie. But I know we will have many, many more questions. And we do have a roving mic, don't we? We have a roving um, mic, we and we have... Here, questions from the audience have already oh, arrived, okay. as it were. Okay. William Wallace, do you want to ask your question out loud, or shall I read it for you? Oh, you can speak. Good. William, well, William is over here. Thank you. Um, mint. The herb mint and the royal mint, is there a connection between the two? Ah, oh. oh, that's a good question. Mint. Mint. Uh, no, there isn't. <laughs> I'd love to say there was. So, the, the royal mint, uh, well, she was minting money, obviously, that goes back to, actually, the Roman goddess of money and lots of different things, Moneta. And it was in her abode that the first coins were said to be printed. So that's where we get the, the mint, and that gave us money as well. Moneta gave us money. And the mint, the beautiful herb, that is linked to German, because as I always say, English is a Germanic language at heart. So in German, we have a pfeffer mint, quite hard to say, and that's where we get mint from, is their mints. Yeah, so they came in two very different strands. Uh, what is amazing is she genuinely knows this stuff. You know, it is extraordinary. Uh, Jeremy from New Malden is here. Where are you, Jeremy? What's your question? So this goes back to the um, discussion about fools, and you mentioned hilarious yeah. and hilarity. And I seem to recall that at university, the Easter term was called oh, the Hillary, Hillary term, but it never struck me as being particularly hilarious. Hilarious, no. Uh, no, although I think there was a phrase to keep, to keep Hillary, or to keep Hillary term that meant to kind of keep cheerful, sort of slang term. But that Hillary, I think, was named after a bishop of Poitiers uh, who was called Hillary. So it was named after him. And it was originally applied to a session in the High Courts of Justice before it was then applied to a university term. I'm not quite sure why we revered a bishop of Poitiers from centuries ago, but that's where it comes from. So not as far as that, I mean, he may well have sort of have links in some way, his name going back to that Latin Hilaria, but that's not why it was called Hillary Turn, much as I love the idea of festivities. The joy of this podcast is that it is listened to all over the world. And we may have somebody in Poitiers yeah. who has heard the programme. Yeah. 
and can get in touch with us. It's something else. No, it's purple at somethingelse.com is the address. So let's now take questions from anywhere, including up in the expensive seats. Um, <laughs> anybody has got a question that they would like to ask, just raise a hand. There's one down here, Microphones will come towards you. I'm very partial to gooseberry fool and rhubarb fool. Ah, and point. I'm just wondering if there's a connection between the two words. Yes, I think it's the idea as of being full of froth. It's quite interesting because it's, it's quite sort of full of air, isn't it, a gooseberry fool or whatever. But the names for slightly unappetising originally concoctions that became puddings have also given us bywords for foolishness. So balderdash, for example, which means rubbish, doesn't it, these days, was a really horrible concoction of curdled milk and ale and sometimes a dead pigeon. I mean, really weird things. And that gave us balderdash. Uh, and flummery was another one. Flummery was a, similar to a gooseberry fool, I think. Um, it was something sort of light and airy. So I think the idea is it was just full of hot air or cold air or whatever. Likewise, the follis, meaning the windbag. So and what about sort of mousse, as in a chocolate mousse? I'm very proud Oh, yeah. That, I don't think that's got anything uh, remotely negative about it. You'll but be mousse, pleased to hear. That come, that's what French. Mousse, as in mousse, something that's bubbly and... Well, yeah, because mousse is an adjective that's applied to wine, isn't it? When you get sort of little bubbles on the surface. Ah. I think you're right. So it's little yeah. bubbles. I think it's little think... bubbles again. Okay. And that's exactly what you get in a chocolate mousse, isn't it? Any light more, and airy. Any more questions? Yes, in the fourth row on this side here. Hi. Um, yeah. A very dear friend of mine <laughs> passed away a little while ago, and he always used a term. He didn't swear ever, but what he would say was footle bootle. Ooh. Is that actually a word, or has he made it up? I think he might have made it up. Um, <laughs> but you never know. It might be one of the many, many euphemisms we have for swearing. Oh, footle-bootle. Because bootle. it begins with the F, probably. Is that yeah, it? could be. Des O'Connor, when he was doing Countdown, used to say, piddle-bum and stocking-tops. That was his, uh, whenever he had to retake something. OK, let's see what the dictionary comes up with. No... Um, that, it might be in a slang dictionary, but I suspect it was... Who was it? Do you remember? It was a it friend was, of hers who was no longer yeah, with us. Yeah, it was us. a um, lovely gentleman called Graham Giggs, oh. who was um, a historian. Yeah. And um, he just always used to use that word, but he reminds me so much of Giles, so I just thought oh. it's, a great, it's a great word to ask. That's very sweet of you to say that. I, I, I note that he was of great age and is now no longer with us. But... Uh, <laughs> Nonetheless, I take that as a compliment. Bless, bless him. Oh, yeah, I suspect it's a, it's a homemade euphemism. It doesn't make it any less legitimate. Um, and it's quite, quite sweet, isn't it, Fiddle Biddle? Um, I think it's time to get to our trio. What? No time for more questions? A quickie. A this quickie. What, that's what one Bill Clinton thought. Asked for a quickie and they brought him a quiche. Um, <laughs> it was a, a misunderstanding. <laughs> Thank you very much. What's the difference in the word sue is in terms of sue for peace or suing a person in a legal sense? I imagine it's to do with pursuit. You're suing. You're pursuing something. Ah, uh, yes, exactly. To, to yes, sue suere. for peace, to sue in litigation. Yes, suere, absolutely right. Latin for follow. Suere, yes. Latin for follow. Yes. So it is the idea of chasing someone, I suppose, in, in the sense of suing them. I sometimes know the answers. Uh, really? <laughs> 
You often do. But I never do when we get to our trio. It's time for the trio. Yes, so I have come up with a word for our audience without a definition, and I've asked you to submit your own definitions. And the first one, I think I was asking for it, really, because it was clinch poop. Who? Clinch poop. A clinch poop. C-L-I-N-C-H-P-O-O-P. Yes. Okay. Okay, so from Beast of the Links in St Andrews, we have a wooden device used for pinching floor joists together on ship, particularly useful on the poop deck. That makes sense. Very good. Unfortunately, it now becomes really scatological, which I, I guess I was asking for. But uh, Anne and Carol in London, I love this one. A clinch poop means attention to detail as in anally retentive. <laughs> That's very oh, good. Oh, that is genius. That is very good. That has to win the prize. Um, and then Vanessa in Devises, I'm afraid, says clenching during a poo to break up the size. Oh, no, no, no. I know. <laughs> Sam, Sam, our, our um, lovely producer here, says 90% of the answers were variations on the poo theme. Oh. So, um, yeah, I think, well, Anne and Carol definitely, don't you Read reckon? the definition again, it's so good. A attention to detail, as in being anally retentive. Whoa, a clinch poo. Yeah, very, what, very What is the true meaning? A, a person lacking in gentlemanly breeding. Oh, a yes. poop. A person lacking in gentlemanly breeding. Very yes. Uh, I think the only retentive is far better. Okay, so the second one was thimble famble. Thimble famble. Thimble famble. So, uh, John, go to bed. Is that, have I pronounced that correctly? John, go to bed. Is there somebody called John, go to bed here? <laughs> I mean, this is he's from it's a medieval perfect. mystery play. Oh, perfect. John, go to bed. Meet Mrs. English. That's fantastic. Do you know, it's April Fool's. These people have been sending us up all afternoon. John, go to bed. In Come Harlow. On. In Harlow, as in the tea is silent. Is it genuinely your name, sir? Yes. Oh, he said that with such kind of, yes. Uh, OK, I'm so sorry. You've had this all your life. Anyway, Fimble Fumble. Trying to find a sewing thumb guard in a hurry. Fimble Fumble. I like that. Okay, Toby Phillips in Worcestershire says, when one has imbibed, then tried walking in a forest. A thimble-famble. Um, <laughs> and Sue in Staines says, aborted hanky-panky. <laughs> thimble-famble. The lives you people lead. <laughs> my, my. So, so actually, let me tell you what thimble-famble means. It's a lame excuse. A lame excuse. Yes. The thimble famble. But I reckon, do you think aborted hanky panky? Yeah. Yes. Sue in stains. Thank you for that one. And I should just say, I think everyone wins. Where, where, what's she called? Sue in stains. Sue in stains. I think there's links somehow with the theme of the. <laughs> so far, isn't it? Okay. So the third one was Meldrop. Meldrop. A Meldrop. Uh, this is from Kerry and Morven. When you squat too low to rise back up. <laughs> Meldrop. How do you spell Meldrop? M-E-L-D-R-O-P. When you spot? When you squat too low to be able to get back up again. Oh, that happens to me a lot, Meldrop. <laughs> um, okay, then it's when a presenter is replaced on Bake Off. Um, oh. Very good. <laughs> oh, these are clever. Uh, that's from William Wallace in Gloucester. And uh, Karen and Mark in Lincolnshire say a Meldrop is the same as Brewer's Droop, but for girls. 
Okay. Um, the real definition is not much nicer, actually. It's a drop of mucus hanging from the nose. Oh, a yeah. mild drop. There is a word for it. Isn't that amazing? It's a bri- we often want to know that, that little drip, that little drip on the end of the nose. Charles, we need to wrap up. What? We, we need to do. wrap up? What are you going to wrap up in? We need to wrap up. We are going to wrap up in one of our tea towels. I usually end with a, a, a poem. It's a very short poem. Yes. And because it's April Fool's Day, I thought this is one I would do. It's easy enough to be pleasant when the world goes round and round, but the man worthwhile is the man who can smile with his trousers falling down. Something Rhymes with Purple is a Something Else production. It was produced by Lawrence Bassett and Harriet Wells, alongside Sam Hodges from Tilted Co. for the live shows. Additional production from Chris Skinner, Jen Mystery, Jay Beale, and... The Clinch Poop himself. Golly! Golly!